Today we celebrate Pentecost, which is uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it takes an old Jewish feast, 50 days after Passover, and, uh, in, uh, and is specifically the time now as Christians that we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit, which we heard in the first reading. Jesus speaks often, I shouldn't say often, he speaks about it multiple times, the coming of the Holy Spirit while he's still alive. And the disciples really have no idea what he's talking about because it's difficult to understand and we don't even understand what he's talking about today either, right, in some ways. The Holy Spirit, what, what is the Holy Spirit? What, where do we see the Holy Spirit working? When do we pray to the Holy Spirit? When is the Holy Spirit a part of our life? I think for some of you that, I don't know, I hope all of you know exactly where the Holy Spirit is uh, and that you pray to the Holy Spirit. But I'll be honest, a lot of the time I forget about the Holy Spirit, even though that I'm invoking the Holy Spirit in prayers and everything else, even though that we start every prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we promptly forget the Holy Spirit and either pray to the Father or the Son. And even if we, we pray to God, you know, in general, God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're often not focusing on the Trinity, on the Holy Spirit, right? So, who is this Holy Spirit? Well, this Holy Spirit uh, in the early church was kind of debated on, uh, again, what is the Holy Spirit? Uh, we understand now today, kind of at the early church, it was given to us uh, that they had an understanding of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit was, was something, that something was happening, that the Holy Spirit was a big deal, but it was kind of in seed form, kind of this development of doctrine again. Not that the idea of who the Holy Spirit has changed, like as if one, one moment they thought the Holy Spirit was just, um, just this random force, and all of a sudden it became God later on. No, it was always God, but maybe they weren't able to explain it or fully understand it at the beginning. It was in seed form. And as it continued to grow, as the church continued to interact with the Holy Spirit, continued to discuss the Holy Spirit, who is this Spirit, that then they were able to understand in the fullness and start to bear fruit from that seed of who the Holy Spirit is. First, the big debate in the church was, who is Jesus? And then after they started to figure that out a little bit, they're like, wait, and who's this Holy Spirit guy? Uh, and then uh, we have the creed that we say, the council, it's the Nicene Creed from the Council of Constantinople and Nicaea. And uh, initially the creed only had one line about the Holy Spirit, and we believe in the Holy Spirit. And then later on, uh, a few years later, they were like, wait, and what do we believe about the Holy Spirit? We need to explain that a little bit more. And so now we have in the creed that the Holy Spirit uh, proceeds from the Father and the Son. And so we understand that the Holy Spirit is one with the Father and the Son, that the Holy Spirit is God, um, that it is the third person of the Trinity. Not just a, a force of the Trinity, not just a part of the Father or the Son, but is the third person of the Trinity, its own person in the oneness, in the unity of God in the Trinity. We also know that He's glorified because of that, just the same as the Father and the Son. But again, okay, so that's kind of theologically how we understand who the Holy Spirit is. But what kind of ways is the Holy Spirit acting in our life? Do we see the Holy Spirit acting in our life? 
Well, we see the Spirit, Holy Spirit most primar- primarily act in the church, where we can see that the Holy Spirit is guiding the church. Uh, certainly sometimes uh, um, it's still made up of human persons that try to disrupt the Holy Spirit constantly. Okay, We see that in different scandals of the church at different times. But the Holy Spirit continues to guide the church in all teachings and faith and morals uh, in specifically uh, in specific times. We also see that the Holy Spirit acts in the church in all of the sacraments. In fact, each one of the sacraments have this very special uh, part that's called the epiclesis. It's a fancy theological word that means that the Holy Spirit is sent, descends kind of on it. Okay? And so we see the epiclesis happen in baptism where the Holy Spirit is sent and actually uh, gives the sanctifying grace, the life of God, that the child or the adult, if they're baptized, uh, becomes temples of the Holy Spirit because of that sending forth of the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit happen within the forgiveness of sins in the sacrament of reconciliation. We actually heard in the gospel today the way that the Holy Spirit kind of comes. Jesus breathes on his disciples and sends the Holy Spirit and through the Holy Spirit gives the apostles the power to forgive or retain sins. And that power through the Holy Spirit is is given to the successors of the apostles, the bishops, who then give that power to individual priests. Um, And the Holy Spirit comes and descends upon and through it works the forgiveness of sins. We also see the Holy Spirit work within the sacrament of confirmation because the sacrament of confirmation is, right, the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's being sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this starts to bring kind of the question of like, well, we see that the Holy Spirit is working within baptism and confirmation. Baptism were received as temples of the Holy Spirit. In confirmation, we're sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. But why do we need the Holy Spirit to be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit if we've already received the gift of the Holy Spirit in baptism? It's where the confusion starts to happen. We're going to say, well, we know that we're temples of the Holy Spirit of baptism, and we know that confirmation bestows the gift or is sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit, but we don't really understand. It's not like as if we can measure and say, well, at baptism you receive, you know, a quarter of the Holy Spirit, then every single time you get 5% more, and then at confirmation you receive 100%, right? Then, then, then you're topped up, right? Well, it doesn't quite work in that in percentages or exacts or... Or, you know, well, you receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit in baptism, but, or, or in confirmation, but you already had them sort of in seed form in baptism, but maybe you need a little bit more of an outpouring. And so we sort of see this. We also see that happen with the apostles as well. Jesus breathed on the Holy Spirit. I just, I just love that line, breathed. You know, there's just like this closeness. He probably got in everybody's face and was like, you know, uh, I don't know exactly, but he breathed and And he gave them the Holy Spirit to forgive sins. But he still, the disciples, apostles still needed to pray and wait for the Holy Spirit to come in its fullness in Pentecost. And so we kind of see where the Holy Spirit is given to the apostles, but yet the fullness isn't received until Pentecost. Again, kind of this confusion, at least from a very logical or linear way that we want to think or understand the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't exactly a a linear or perfectly ordered thing. It's not something to be contained. It's kind of like a a wild animal in some ways, a wild wild goose, some people have kind of called it uh, in there. 
So within confirmation, we see that. We also, within the, within the Eucharist, is probably one of the easiest places to see the apoclesis. When I'm praying the Eucharistic prayer, the priest is instructed to put his hands face down over the gifts and call forth the Holy Spirit. In three of the main four Eucharistic prayers, it's explicitly called that we call the Holy Spirit. In the fourth one, it's not explicit, but it's implied. And so in that moment, we call forth the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit descends, and the Holy Spirit works to transform the gifts of bread and wine into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. We then see the apoclesis uh, happen in the gift of the Holy Spirit within uh, marriage at the nuptial blessing. We also see it in, in the anointing of the sick when the priest lays his hands on the head and actually calls forth the Holy Spirit, is meant to, is it supposed to call forth the Holy Spirit. Also in ordinations of deacons, priests, and bishops where the laying on the ha- of hands take. Again, kind of this, this symbol of the hands uh, kind of facing down calling forth the Holy Spirit. So those are kind of the ways that we see within the sacrament the Holy Spirit working. But what kind of ways, uh, again, we we can't really see it. The Father is really easy to understand because we we kind of just imagine the Creator, right? Kind of this fatherly figure. We have an understanding of that. The Son, we know as Jesus Christ, right? We see in images of on the cross, we see the Sacred Heart, we see statues, but the Holy Spirit doesn't really have that image. We see it work in different ways, but we don't have that image to really be able to grasp. And so one of the images that I'd like to give you of the Holy Spirit is wind. Wind. So have you ever actually seen wind? Well, not really. You've never seen the wind. You've seen the effects of wind. You've seen the things that are in the wind, right? The dust blowing, or if you see a tree move, the tree isn't exactly shaking or stretching out in the morning, right? It's, it's wind that's affecting it. We see the effects of wind, but we don't see wind itself. Similarly for the Holy Spirit. We can't see the Holy Spirit itself. We don't have an image of a concrete materialness of it. But we do see the effects of the Holy Spirit in the church, in the sacraments, and in our life. In what kind of ways do we see it? Well, there are many different ways, and we could spend another hour or two trying to go through all of them, but I'll try to, I'll try to spare you of that. But one of the ways that it, primary, it leads is in unity, that even though that it works in diversity and kind of sometimes in a confused way, it always works in true unity. And so we see the Holy Spirit bring the church together, that the church, a human institution, should have split many, many times. In fact, no other human institution has lasted that long, which is why we don't believe that the church is a human institution, but is held together only possibly by the Holy Spirit. We see the effects that there's still a church together in some unity by the Holy Spirit. Certainly some have broken off, but that the Holy Spirit continues to hold us in unity, even though that many popes, bishops, priests, laity have tried to destroy it at different times. The Holy Spirit still holds it together. 
We also see in our own, in the church, in the way that it's changed, in the way that it's changed to try to evangelize people, sometimes better or sometimes worse. One of the uh, images of wind that I like about it as well is that some things are more susceptible to wind than others, right? Some things are really affected by the wind and are really taken by the wind, and other things are brick walls. And you can't tell that the Holy Spirit is working because guess what? It's a brick wall and it's not letting the wind affect it at all. We can sometimes do that in our life and sometimes even in the church as well where we put up a brick wall and we don't allow the Holy Spirit to work. Do we do that also in our lives? Where we say, well, I'm not going to change in this way. You know what? God might be calling me or pushing me or guiding me in this, holy, this way. The Holy Spirit might be drawing me in a certain way, but you know what? I'm a brick wall. No. May we not be brick walls. May we be open to the changing, the way that the Holy Spirit wants to draw us and lead us and evangelize and bring us peace and bring us out into the world and to send forth His Spirit. Jesus talks about it that He says, I must go so that a better might be sent. The Holy Spirit. That we recognize that sometimes we wish that Jesus was still walking, but the Holy Spirit is even better than Jesus. I'm not quite sure how that works. Again, kind of in the confusion of like it all, like how does, how does that work? But that, that's what we have from Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is the, one of the greatest gifts that we give, we get. And so during this time of the Holy Spirit, this being in the church, guiding us, is in our life through baptism, through the sacraments, may we make use of that. May we make the simple prayer of come Holy Spirit. We don't know how to pray to the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, come. May we take this Mass to, to ask the Holy Spirit to come and, and dwell in us in a greater way. Certainly the Holy Spirit already is there if we're in the state of grace in the temples of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but we also need to invoke and be more open to the changing of the Holy Spirit in our church, in our lives, and in the future.